welcome to the Locking Castle Church podcast. This Sunday morning teaching was given as part of the Health Check series. It's lovely to um, be here to share with you at the 10.30 service this morning. Um, if it's that difficult reading to read, it's perhaps even more of a challenge <laughs> to unpack it. <laughs> um, someone was saying to me at coffee that, you know, you could almost preach a sermon on every verse, and you can. Um, but Andy has asked me this morning to focus on that vision of Jesus, and that is where I will focus. But I will give you a bit of an introduction into the book of Revelation as well. Um, because I don't know how you felt when you saw you were going to have a series on Revelation. Um, it's a bit like Marmite, I think, Revelation. People love it or hate it. Um, and it's one of those um, books that, that can be, be a tricky and it can fill you with fear sometimes. Um, we're going to be thinking about this vision of Jesus. I wonder how you imagine Jesus. When you think of Jesus, when you pray to Jesus, what do you see in your mind? Who do you see? Perhaps you see him sitting, teaching his disciples or sharing, laughing with them. Perhaps you see him reaching out his hands to touch and heal those who are ill. Or maybe you see little children coming to him to be blessed. I wonder if you see his face. And I wonder if you see his face, whether he's smiling at you. See, I guess most of us, when we imagine Jesus, we think of the human Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. I know I do. I don't expect many of you think of Jesus in the way John describes in that vision for Revelation. Did anyone, does anyone imagine Jesus in that way? No. (laughs) It's not so easy, is it? It's... um, his face shining like the sun in full force, one um, translation says, uh, um, and a two-edged sword from his mouth. It's not an image of Jesus that's even easy to look at, and you wouldn't want to get too near to that sword, would you? Um, what's going on here? What is John trying to say to us, and what is this book of Revelation about anyway? Does the opening chapter contain a health check for us Um, even before we get to the letters in the churches. Um, I want to suggest to you this morning that this vision of John's is important for us to take seriously, that it can both inspire and challenge us as individuals and as a church community. But first we need to know a bit of background to Revelation to help us understand it better. Then we'll come back to that vision of John. So who wrote Revelation. Who was this John? Well, as you may imagine, scholars debate that. (laughs) Um, The traditional view is that John was um, the disciple of Jesus, the beloved disciple who wrote the fourth gospel. Um, Other views are about. Um, The question I would ask, does it really matter? Does it change how you read and understand Revelation. Probably not a lot, it has to be said. Um, Traditional version is the one that I will go with. Um, And it was probably written in the reign of Emperor Domitian. 
around the year 90. Now Domitian, I don't know if that's how you say his name, but the emperor, carried on a persecution of Christians started by Nero. So it wasn't an easy time to be a Christian, to be part of a church. That matters more because it matters to understand that the people who, who are being written to in the book of Revelation were going through a really tough time, so much so that they were afraid for their lives. People were being martyred. So John is, is on the island of Patmos. He's a prisoner. Patmos was a bit like the Roman Alcatraz. Um, it housed the Roman Empire's uh, prisoners of state. We can't say for sure exactly why he was there. John himself says it was because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. But as you read through Revelation, you see that it also contains a scathing criticism of Rome, and that alone would have been enough to land him in trouble with the authorities. So he was probably a political prisoner, exiled to this island. So who was he writing to? Those seven churches that are in Asia. I want you to just pause for a moment and think about what it's like to read historical documents. Um, reading letters from that time, that's the time that's passed, nearly 2,000 years um, since those letters were written. Um, it's to another time, to people we don't know, and who lived in a very different world from us. Revelation was not written to predict our time or represent our world. And when we make it about us and about predicting our time, we can easily miss the point of the whole book. So I would advise you to step back from that. John is writing to particular churches that he has an intimate knowledge of, all living in a particular time and particular place. He writes, speaks, and prays for communities that he knows and loves in the same way that Paul writes to the church in Galatia or to the Corinthians. They are the ones he's concerned about. They are the ones that this message he received was for, the ones he believes can be and are the golden lampstands in his place and his time. And those churches were made up of a persecuted minority, a mixture of Jew and Gentile, all following the testimony of Jesus, but living under Roman occupation. They're on the margins of the empire, they're poor, and they're struggling. And John's message to them is one of patient endurance and to resist falling for the propaganda of the empire. We are very different. We live in a different time in history. Our context and experiences are very different. We can't assume that we will understand all the symbolism and imagery in the text in the way that John intended it. And John didn't even write Revelation to be easily understandable from those outside because he was writing from prison. His letters would be read by the Roman authorities. He wanted the meaning to be obscure so that his captors, if you like, didn't understand. It's like passing notes in the school, you know. You don't want the teacher to see it and understand it. Um, that's what Revelation is like. 
Now, having said all that, I don't want to say that there won't be plenty of things we can understand and learn from. It's just that we need to be careful when we're applying parallels to our own time. How to read Revelation? Well, John is both a seer, a prophet, and an artist. An artist invites us to linger over things we might not ordinarily see or choose to gaze upon. They reveal things which are not easy to communicate. And reading Revelation, I suggest, is a bit like looking at a picture. You take in what you see. It has an effect on you before you know anything about the subject of that painting. And when you're reading Revelation, how it makes you feel is important. Um, as well as trying to work out what it means afterwards, but how you feel is important. Right, enough background. Let's go, Let's go to the main point, the vision, um, this vision of Jesus. Let me read it again. And as I read it again, I want you to think about how it's making you feel. So among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. How do you feel? Shout out the odd word for me. How does it make you feel? Overwhelmed? Any others? Terrified. Terrified. It is pretty terrifying, isn't it? The Bible talks about the fear of the Lord and there is a proper place to be fearful. This is God we're talking about, okay? Yeah. Or wonder are other possibilities. Speechless, confused. You know, all these things are, um, could be felt as you read um, that description from John. So what do we see and how might we begin to unpack it? Someone like a son of man, John says. This was a man, but not an ordinary man. This is not Jesus as he appeared in the gospel stories. This is Jesus glorious and sublime. And John is struggling to find words to describe him. He notices first his clothes. He had a long robe and a golden sash around his waist. Um, the sash of a priest or a king or a judge. And Jesus is described as all these things in the scriptures. Everything about him was white and bright. He is pure. He is clean. His eyes are blazing like fire, the fire of judgment. Fire, the eyes that burn through you and see the truth that you're trying to hide inside. His feet were strong like bronze. He won't tire or get blisters. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Remember a time you stood beside a large waterfall, the sound of that you can't hear 
anything else at all. His face was as bright as the sun, dazzling, too holy to look at. And coming out of his mouth was this sharp double-edged sword, cutting both ways, removing the evil within and without. There's nowhere for John to go, nowhere to escape from this vision. No wonder he drops to the ground as though he were a dead man. It is a vision of perfect holiness and power. It cuts through and challenges our images of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And it reminds us that Jesus is almighty God, not some ordinary man we can influence or manipulate. Yet although we dare not approach him because of his holiness and our unworthiness, and because of his power and our weakness, he reaches out and he gently touches us. And he says, do not be afraid. This is the God we worship. This is the grace we receive. Let's go a bit deeper, take a deep dive now and see what further truths we can begin to uncover. As I said, there is no way I am going to get to the bottom of all of this tonight. I was saying at nine o'clock, I've got a sermon on preaching by numbers, and numbers are very significant in Revelation. Seven churches, lots of things in groups of three, they all have meaning. Go into them in your little groups, those of you who are part of little groups. Um, but this vision was given not for John's personal benefit, it was given for the churches. John is very clear, he was told to write it down on a scroll for those seven churches. It's not a private thing. And a church with its back to the wall and fighting for its survival, like those churches in um, Asia were, um, need to have, they need to see Christ. They need to see Jesus as he is um, and to see as much of Jesus as they can bear to give them the confidence and the courage they need um, for, their, for their lives. And before John tells them of the vision, he gives Jesus three impressive titles that are particularly meaningful for persecuted churches. He calls Jesus the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is the faithful witness. The churches, too, are called to witness. Let them follow the example of Jesus, of their Lord, who never faltered, even when he faced suffering and death. He is the firstborn of the dead. Others had been brought back to life only to die again, but Jesus died and is alive forever. Death has no more dominion over him. A persecuted church facing the possibility of martyrdom urgently needs this assurance and he is the ruler of the kings of the earth earthly kings may try to crush the church but jesus christ is king of kings these are titles that matter to the persecuted church they are titles that give them confidence assurance and hope and strength to keep going 
In that chapter as well, there are also many echoes of Old Testament visions, particularly from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7 has a vision of the Ancient of Days described in similar terms, who is joined by one like a son of man coming on the clouds and who establishes a kingdom that will never pass away. And John also draws on the language of Daniel 10 in his vision of Jesus. All of these allusions are not just there by accident. It shows the churches the genuineness of John's vision. This is how God has been seen before. These words can be trusted. John is telling us more of what we already know, that Jesus is Lord, that his kingdom will not end. So I believe this vision is important for us as well. We may not be in fear of our lives as those seven churches in Asia were, but we face challenges from a secular society that sees Christians as misguided or irrelevant or even dangerous. Our church is being tested and is fighting for its survival. To grasp what it means for us to follow Jesus today, we too need to understand who it is that we're following. We need to expand our image of Jesus and see him as glorified, as well as human, to see him in all his holiness and power. And we need to feel his hand on our shoulder, saying, do not be afraid. Only then can we truly hear his message to us. And if we're tempted to domesticate God and, and make him in our image, remember this vision. Let it wake you up to the awesome power of God that rightly arouses fear and overwhelms us at times. This is Jesus who is dead and is alive forevermore. Jesus who breathed the church into being and loves it still who still walks among the golden lampstands of our churches and holds our stars in his right hands. Jesus, who has a message for each of the seven churches of Revelation, but wants to speak to us too. So how healthy is your image of Jesus? Take that health check today. How much of Jesus do you see? Because unless we see him as risen Lord, the all-holy and all-powerful one, how can we praise him for his glory? How can we show that holiness and glory to those around us? This vision is the foundation of what comes next. And Jesus is the foundation of all we do. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Locking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.